Chemistry and computer science combine in innovative software systems, Floodlight and Searchlight. They are machine learning tools that can analyze food, drugs, materials, even the air to detect chemicals. What is the software's potential impact on health, safety, the environment, and more? Hear from the creators next on this episode of Technology Today. We live with technology, science, engineering, and the results of innovative research every day. Now, let's understand it better. You're listening to the Technology Today podcast presented by Southwest Research Institute. Hello and welcome to Technology Today. I'm Lisa Benya. In machine learning, a computer learns to recognize patterns in data using algorithms. Floodlight and Searchlight software, which we are discussing today, illuminate patterns in complex chemical data identifying chemicals present in a sample. This type of analysis used to take chemists weeks. Now with this incredible technology speeding up the process, it takes just a fraction of the time. Our guests today are Dr. Kristen Favela, an SWRI analytical chemist, and SWRI research computer scientist, Michael Hartnett. They combined their expertise to create floodlight and searchlight and this is really a great example of collaboration at SWRI, merging different areas of research and development to create a world-changing solution. Thank you for joining us, Kristen and Michael. Thanks, okay. Lisa. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. So we had a brief segment with you in episode 16 where you described your process creating Floodlight, but I'm really excited to have more time with you today to talk about your newest software, Searchlight, and really delve into this technology. So I've given a brief introduction of Floodlight and Searchlight, but what are these software tools? How do you describe them? Um, so I would first start with Floodlight um, because it really is uh, sort of the, the first pass at this complex chemical data. The data that is received or picked up from the uh, GCGC mass spec um, instrument is, uh, three-dimensional. Um, it has those two chromatographic dimensions as well as a, a mass spec dimension, each of which is um, trying to tease apart individual chemical compounds um, in a chemical sample. Um, an unfortunate reality to um, this kind of instrumentation is that there's, there's noise. There are signals um, picked up by the instrument software that in reality aren't helpful or useful. They're just kind of noise in the background. Um, so Floodlight, we developed to uh, sift through the signal and noise and make a differentiation between the two. So um, picking up the, the useful real data that can help a chemist make determinations on the composition of a sample um, and, and throw away all the um, interferent uh, information or disinformation. So these software systems take a sample and sift through the sample for um, chemical, I guess, fingerprints, if you will. And, and through that, they're, um, the software is able to identify uh, what chemicals you're looking at. It, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, I, I think the, the ultimate goal um, in these types of analyses is to tease apart the important chemical information of samples. Um, so 
Floodlight cleans up a sample uh, and then passes that cleaned up information to Searchlight, which can analyze the patterns between chemical samples to uh, pick up on the important similarities and differences uh, amongst these chemical samples. So we can think of that um, in terms of like uh, anomaly detection, we can find uh, samples that are sort of out of the normal range that we would expect in terms of their uh, individual chemical components um, and see concentration trends over time or with, with other parameters. How are these software systems different? It sounds like you start with one and it, it moves into the other, um, but how would you, what are the differences? That's a good question. Um, so in, in the background, uh, sort of the, the algorithmic underpinnings of these softwares, um, Floodlight is powered by a supervised machine learning algorithm. Um, that means that uh, we took a lot of labeled data um, in terms of the, the signal quality and trained a machine learning algorithm to make the differentiation between high quality and, and poor quality signals. Whereas in Searchlight, um, much of the machine learning methods there are unsupervised. Um, so instead of relying on label, human labeled data um, to learn the relationships, uh, unsupervised machine learning algorithms just look at the um, inherent structure of the data to pull out the relationships and uh, group group things into categories. Um, so I would say that's a pretty major differentiation between the two technologies. All right, a lot of great information there um, from our computer scientist. And I wanted to bring in our chemist um, on this. Kristen, thank you for joining us. Um, why is it necessary and important to analyze chemicals? How can these software systems be used in, in real world applications? Well, it's necessary and important to analyze chemicals uh, to understand what we are exposed to in our external world. So traditionally, uh, the field of exposomics, for example, has focused, it, focused on uh, targeted analysis. So that is um, having a predefined list of chemicals that you are interested in, and then uh, specifically targeting those chemicals in a sample. However, with recent advances in um, both instrumentation and computer science, we are capable of analyzing our samples in a more holistic manner. Uh, so this is, this is called non-targeted analysis, where we uh, attempt to, to characterize a specific sample um, to the greatest extent that we can. So processing all the signals that the instrument um, provides. And what we are discovering is a very large amount of um, previously uh, uncharacterized chemicals and uh, chemicals that maybe are known, uh, but not known to be in, for example, specific consumer products. So in many cases, uh, there is uh, very little known about the effect of these chemicals on human health. And in order to sort of triage which chemicals are most important to be studied. It's important to know um, what, what is the frequency and the concentration of these chemicals in um, samples of interest. 
Okay. So when you're saying, um, you know, there, it, it's a matter of human health and you're looking for chemicals and products, you know, I think we're all under the impression that if we're using a product, then it's safe. But are you saying that, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit more analysis after it's first sale? Well, um, so a sample uh, consists of, of many, many chemicals. So it's not just, you know, the ingredients that go into the sample. Um, all of those ingredients have impurities and they also have, um, you know, byproducts during manufacturing and those types of um those types of signatures have not previously been evaluated um, in such a detailed and comprehensive manner. Now, it doesn't mean that they're harmful to human health. They may be perfectly benign, um, but the point is that these chemicals are not, uh, they're in samples, or excuse me, they're in consumer products and, and things like that, but they're not listed as being in those products. So in order to understand if these are safe, you have to first characterize what's present. So are you talking about lotions and shampoos or um, I don't know, food containers or what type of products do you, are you analyzing? Uh, so pretty much uh, anything you come into contact with on a, on a daily basis could be a candidate for this type of analysis. So anything from personal care products to um, clothing, um, there's carpeting and upholstery, uh, all of these uh, materials are made of chemicals. And in many cases, uh, they're a very complex mi mix of, of chemicals. So now with these advances in the technology, we're able to, uh, to, to characterize these fully. And um, this is important, not only for uh, exposure science, so knowing what people are exposed to, but also for, um, for other uh, industries such as um, a forensics. So for example, a, a particular manufacturer may have a process, something that they produce, and then um, suddenly it's out of spec and they wanna know why. So these techniques can be really helpful for the full characterization of samples for that reason. You may also think of pretty much any time you want to know what, what is in a sample. So um, if you think of the pharmaceutical industry, uh, they're very interested in knowing obviously what impurities might be present in pharmaceuticals. Uh, so it's not just uh, exposomics and consumer products, it really the sky's the limit here. Uh, anytime you have a um, situation where you have an interest in knowing uh, holistically what what it is made of, this uh, non-targeted analysis technique can provide a good first screening method and then set you down uh, a path for further study. So your um, software is already in use, plucking things out that hadn't been recognized before. Um, what type of clients do you have that are interested in, in learning more about their products? We, we serve a variety of, of clients across um, both uh, government and commercial interests. So this ranges from um, customers that are interested in understanding consumer products to uh, customers who 
are interested in just understanding the difference is in um, their particular samples, whatever industry that may be. Um, we also support the fuels industry uh, for understanding the composition of different um, fuels and oils and, and how, what effect does that, might that have on, um, on those products and, and how they function. Have you had any really surprising findings? Um, I think the biggest surprise is just how, um, how much more efficient it makes the process. So, uh, we've done a number of studies now where we have analyzed samples, both using our, um, our, you know, quote unquote, old fashioned manual curation method, method, which is quite tedious and takes a lot of time. And then to take that same data set and use the software and see how quickly the results are. And, and it's very satisfying to see in most cases how the results are, are almost identical. And I think that's what's been um, the most surprising in a very good way thing to me. So after you analyze a sample for your clients, um, what's the next step for them once they know what they're dealing with? Well, the, uh, there could be a, a number of next steps. So uh, non-targeted analysis is, uh, is a screening technique. So um, by being able to rapidly see these, these patterns in their samples, it, it's really, really critical because uh, by speeding up this process, it frees uh, both us and our clients to have more resources to then uh, act on those findings. So uh, follow-up tasks may be to confirm what we found. So as this is a screening technique, uh, the identifications, while they are um, pretty high, highly confident identifications in most cases. They can't be said to be absolutely true until they are compared against like an authentic um, uh, reference material. Um, so being able to screen a large number of chemicals quickly allows, uh, allows us to more rapidly hone in on what are the most important chemicals to be able to, you know, sort of con confirm. And then, uh, and then study further. So we did mention, we have mentioned several times that there, um, that floodlight and searchlight really speed up this process. And there was really a need to do that. We touched a little bit on that in episode 16 um, when you guys joined us for a segment then. Um, but if you could remind us, how did you develop floodlight and searchlight? What was the, um, how did it all come to be? Um, so Kristen and her team, really brought the need. Um, the whole idea being uh, that this this first pass, the screening process, um, is severely bottlenecked by uh, the manual processing effort. Um, that, that effort that you mentioned that takes weeks. Um, that's just not feasible at scale to perform the, the kind of services that, that we need to um, with non-targeted analysis. So that led to you know, the, the sacrifice of, of that technique in a lot of cases where quick turnaround was, was essential. Um, so once that, once that need was identified, uh, my team was brought in um, to provide sort of the automation support. And so we, we've been working closely together, Kristen and I, for a, a number of years now, um, building out these tool sets and, and collaborating on um, other sort of data-driven uh, approaches to things um, and analysis efforts. Um, 
just to um, you know make efficient what we can um, and free up the chemist, the human expert, uh, to to take those uh, that information and make informed uh, decisions and, and interpret the results. So I would call floodlight and searchlight really um, decision support tools. We're we're not taking anyone's job uh, with this automation. Really, what we're we're taking away is the the more tedious aspects, the the mundane things that a machine is perfectly capable of doing, and uh, you know offsetting that burden so that the things that aren't uh, easily transferable to a machine, like uh, interpretation. Um, and you know, drawing conclusions uh, from these data-driven results, um, we, we leave that to the to the expert. So this was really a um, feat achieved by machine learning. Um, I did want to touch on that as well for our listeners. Um, what is machine learning? How do you uh, define it, Michael? Uh, machine learning is a is a very hot topic. Um, so it is very important to um, have a, a clear definition of, of what it means and what it can do. Um, machine learning is, is a pretty broad field. Um, a lot of people uh, associate it most strongly with deep learning, which is uh, neural network based machine learning. Uh, but it, it really spans a lot more techniques than that. Um, it could be something as simple as linear regression or uh, something not so simple like Bayesian updating. Um, but really the, the essence of machine learning is really uh, not explicitly telling a, a computer how to do something. Um, so we can think of all the sorts of physical relationships that we understand about the world. Um, maybe take uh, velocity, for example. Um, that's easily defined as uh, distance over time. Uh, so we know that there's a mathematical operation there. We can take velocity data, we can take distance and time data, and we know how to combine those things together to get our answers. Um, but there are a lot of scenarios where those relationships aren't as easily defined. We can't just divide something or multiply something. Um, so that's really where machine learning comes into play. Uh, if we feed a machine learning algorithm lots of data, lots of examples, um, then the machine learning algorithm can define those relationships for us. It can it can learn the complexities uh, between the the characteristics of the data and, and tease apart how to come to the right answer uh, without us explicitly telling it what to do. And if you could just kind of recap, and we've already kind of talked about this, but um, how um, was machine learning specifically used to develop this software? Yeah, um, so this this data is some very it's it's one of the most complex sets that I've worked with in my career. Um, I, I don't know how Kristen does does it every day. Uh, deals with this data. It's highly complex, um, and so really we were drawing upon. Uh, that that human that that process in Kristen's brain, uh, where she makes these kinds of decisions about uh, the the chemical data, and uh, those weren't easily defined. Um, it's not something that simple addition or multiplication could 
could take care of. Um, she was looking at a wide variety of information and kind of digesting it herself. Um, and so to take, take those uh, relationships that Kristen has learned with her expertise and experience um, and apply that to a computer program was in, infeasible uh, to say the least. Um, so there was no way we could program uh, how to decide whether a, a chemical signal is good or bad explicitly. So instead we used machine learning to um, take that information in, make that determination. And similarly, uh, so that's for floodlight, and similarly for searchlight, um, grouping these, these chemical samples that can contain hundreds or thousands of, of chemical compounds, uh, making a determination on you know, what is related to each other, what is unrelated. Um, that was a similarly complex uh, problem to deal with and not one that we could easily define mathematically. So again, we pulled from machine learning to automatically define those relationships to, to learn what, what is important about the data um, that can help us tease apart, uh, draw some conclusions at the end of the day. I think one figure that um, I read was that your software is speeding up the process 120 times. So 120 times faster now. Is, is that about where you, um, you put this as far as speed? So that was a, a special test case. Um, I can't guarantee that that would always be the case across every sample set. Um, but yes, that, that was the benchmark that we came up with um, on a specific sample set. I, I might add that uh, one of the unique things about uh, Floodlight and Searchlight is there are a number of um, user controls. So um, there, there may be situations when we are trying to churn through a lot of samples very quickly and um, we would be happy with a baseline accuracy of, you know, 90 to 95%, which is pretty great. Um, and then we can really speed up the process. Uh, there may be other situations uh, where the, the samples uh, are such that we require a very, very high level of accuracy, you know, 99% or above. Uh, and the software programs are designed to, to work with the chemist, so not replace the chemist, but work with the chemist um, in order to be able to tune those accuracy levels. So even, uh, even having a 99% accuracy level um, still does significantly speed up the process, but that's one of the reasons why the speed up factor, it, it will be dependent on uh, the analysis goals. So uh, the speed varies, but one thing is for sure, it is definitely faster than the process, than how you used to conduct the process. So I did want to talk to you about that, Kristen. Um, how was the work of analyzing and identifying chemicals conducted before introducing machine learning into the process and what were the limitations with that process? So previously, uh, we looked at each and every signal and made, and made a decision about its quality uh, and, and that's what we did. Um, it was very tedious, very manual um, and we, we looked at millions of signals um, over time, over several years. And that was really the impetus towards developing a um, program that would 
would apply these um, computer science tools to help uh, assist with that very manual tedious process, freeing us up to do the more interesting and important work of what does this all mean? Yeah, when you say signals, can you um, kind of talk to us about what um, what you're meaning when you say a chemical signal? Oh, sure. So, so the the instruments that we use, they they are uh, essentially a transducer. So they will will interact with the sample to produce some kind of a electronic signal, and uh, the first and that's what we call data. So the first step to um, using that data is to identify features. So a feature is essentially you know maybe a signal that you can see a peak rising and falling at a given place in time in the analysis, and so that that would be a feature. Um, but those features are not not helpful without identifications. So then the next step is to take the, all those features and try to identify them. And so the the uh, instrument software programs do all uh, do this for the chemist. They identify where the features are, and then they try to assign identifications to those features. But the problem is that uh, the computer is not perfect at it. So there are lots of of situations where you can get you know distortions and signals and things of that nature and then that's where uh, assessing all the information that you have available to you becomes important to decide is this a high quality signal that I can stand behind as uh, being a real signal a real chemical in the sample or is this a low quality signal that we don't have confidence in so we really shouldn't uh, report. So having the tools you have now, floodlight and searchlight, do you ever look back and wonder how did I ever do it that way? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's it's really been a um, a time saver, and it's it's been really fun because um, I've had more time to, you know, do the interesting parts of sample analysis. With this new capability to deeply analyze chemical components, are you discovering new information, maybe things you did not see or understand fully before? Uh, absolutely. So we are, um, whereas previously when we had to process everything um, um, manually, you know, we, we knew how complex the data was because uh, we could see that very plainly. Um, but now with uh, these computer science tools, what we're discovering is uh, new patterns and relationships between samples, which were previously um, difficult for a, 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 a single human to discern just looking at um, the, sample, um, the samples manually. And this is, uh, you know, across a broad range of fields, as we've discussed, everything from, you know, products, um, environmentally, um, what are some of the areas that you're applying your, the software to? Sure. So um, I, I can talk about some uh, uh, some general classes of compounds that many researchers, uh, um, including us, in this field are interested in and um, that ranges anywhere from like you know phthalates which are present in a, in a lot of plastics and whose um, you know impact on human health is not completely understood so there's there's many many different 
kinds of phthalates and and when one kind of phthalate is sort of phased out, it's generally replaced by another. So we're seeing all kinds of, uh, you know, those kinds of chemicals as, as well. Uh, other chemicals that people in the field are interested include, um, you know, polyaromatic hydrocarbons and, uh, you know, there's dyes and flame retardants and, um, you know, uh, P, uh, polyfluorinated chemicals or PFAS. Uh, the list just goes on and on and on. So with all these areas, um, be, with you being able to pull samples from all these areas and analyze with um, floodlight and searchlight, what is the benefit to humankind? I, I think it's just knowledge. Uh, um, we, we, can't, we can't fix a problem if we don't know what the problem is. So just the knowledge of knowing uh, what is present? Uh, what are we being exposed to? That's that's really, um, in some ways, half the battle. Um, so we we hope we're providing a, a deeper level of of knowledge to to the the scientific community to tackle these problems. And do you see this leading to better initiatives in health and safety? Uh, absolutely. I think the the the. Uh, Biggest impact is going to be the um, the sheer amount of uh, samples we're able to analyze, and as I think um, Michael could probably <laughs> um, better explain, uh, definitely the more data, the better. I wholeheartedly agree. the The more information that we have, the more informed our decisions can be as as a society, right? Um, so I think the benefit of increasing the amount of information is is just having better information high, high quality fast information to drive policy uh, drive decision making so we've covered a lot of ground today with floodlight and searchlight um what is the takeaway today for our listeners what do you consider the most compelling aspect of this technology i would say that it's um the amount of information uh, that is brought to the surface um, because of this technology. It, it will enable future studies. It will enable research that ideally will uh, inform people and, and keep us all healthy um, and safe, um, as, as well as uh, you know make things more efficient in the world. Floodlight and searchlight, a really fast way to identify chemicals software that's beneficial in so many applications, truly a breakthrough and example of strong collaboration. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kristen and Michael. Thank you, Lisa. Yes, thank you. And that wraps up this episode of Technology Today. You can hear all of our episodes and see photos and complete transcripts at podcast.swri.org. Remember to share our podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Want to see what else we're up to? Connect with Southwest Research Institute on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Check out the Technology Today magazine at technologytoday.swri.org. And now is a great time to become an SWRI problem solver. Visit our career page at swri.jobs. Ian McKinney and Brian Ortiz are the podcast audio engineers and editors. I am producer and host Lisa Pena. Thanks for listening.